0: Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. I have spoken about several aspects of the sacrament of marriage in the last episodes. And uh, one of the characteristics we see in the lives of the saints, and many saints, not all of them, but many, is that their parents were very conscious of their responsibilities and duties as parents. And it was mostly thanks to them, that their children received a great upbringing, and this is why there were among the children many saints. In the case, for example, of the Curie of Ars, his parents were very devout and were very charitable toward the poor and very prayerful and uh, faithful to the, to, to the Catholic faith. Uh, also, the parents of uh, the little flower, St. Therese of Lisieux, were very holy and actually canonized themselves. And uh, as a last example, we have uh, the life of... Uh, here in Detroit, the life of Blessed Solanus Casey and his parents, again, were very devout uh, Irish and uh, passed on the faith to their children. And that's because they were aware of the importance of marriage and the responsibilities that they have. So today I want to address what the church calls the goods of marriage and its responsibilities. Uh, To translate in a simpler language, The goods of marriage means the most important positive characteristics of marriage and the sacramental marriage in the Catholic Church. So right from the start of humanity, uh, we see that God created a first couple, Adam and Eve, and he created them man and woman, male and female, we read in the book of Genesis. And that was the foundation of humanity and the foundation of the human society. They were entrusted with the gift of marriage and given the gift to bring other men to the world through their own fertility this is why the lord told them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth we read in genesis chapter 1 verse 28 in that sense god made them sharers in his work of creation now then uh moving forward also uh, the old testament then we get to the new testament and there with the coming of the fullness of revelation and the availability of divine grace thanks to the death of Christ on the cross, this institution of marriage created by God was elevated by Christ to the status of a sacrament. And it was endowed with a certain characteristics or goods, we say, certain gifts or qualities proper to that sacrament and to this institution that is marriage, sacramental marriage. So those who enter into this relationship of marriage are entrusted with certain responsibilities proper to this new state of life that they are embracing. And this is a great gift, but also a responsibility. So these goods and responsibilities are not something invented by human beings or by the church. They were given and established by God himself. So these goods or good qualities or characteristics, uh, to summarize, are the following. First, the sacrament of marriage is one. So there's a unity in that marital relationship. Besides, it's indissoluble, so once it has been validly established, it cannot be undone. It requires fidelity of the spouses to each other. It requires openness to life or openness to fertility. Openness to bringing children to the world and educating them in a Christian way of life. And finally... It requires concern of each of the spouses for the physical, emotional, and above all, the spiritual well-being, both of the other spouse and also of their children. Right? Um, so let us look at these uh, characteristics more in depth. First of all, the unity and indissolubility of marriage. Right. The, the conjugal love between a husband and wife implies a certain totality. So there's a, there has to be a complete mutual self-giving, which involves every aspect of the human person. That means that it involves a communion of as far as the appeal of the body and instinct, the power and feeling of the affection or affectivity, and the aspiration of the will and of the spirit, and as far as possible, also communion in the mind and the ideas, and above all, communion of faith, if possible, right? So that's the ideal, and Uh, All this is uh, described by John Paul II in Familiaris Consortio number 13. So this implies a complete union, right, of the uh, husband and wife, as as far as possible. So that, as the gospel says, uh, they are no longer two, but one flesh, Matthew 19. So this, of course, means a union in the body and the affection, but more so a deeply personal union, a union that aims at forming one mind and one soul, so to speak, as far as possible. In this sense, we say that this sacramental marriage is one, or in other words, unity is the main quality of marriage. This implies that those who enter into a sacramental marriage should know that their marriage is and will be only one, as long as they both are alive. This is why Christ taught that marriage is, is indissoluble, that is, once it has been validly celebrated and consummated through the marital act, an unbreakable bond is created between husband and wife, uh, so that there is no power on earth that can ever break that bond apart, right, so this marriage bond is unbreakable, it cannot be dissolved, it's indissoluble. Besides, uh, we say that it is one because it can only happen between one man and one woman, uh, and, and therefore it's, there's one, right? Some people think, or may think, that they're allowed to marry more than one person simultaneously, but that is called polygamy, and as a catechism te- teaches very clearly, polygamy, uh, I quote, uh, is contrary to conjugal love, which is undivided and exclusive so it is against the law of god then to uh marry more than one spouse at the same time there has to be a mutual and unreserved love between husband and wife and this requires the exclusiveness of that spousal love and any time any type of polygamy attempts against that perfect love now for this reason there's another characteristic that is the fidelity of the conjugal love because the love of, uh, between husband and wife must be complete, it must be exclusive, and for the, their entire lives. So this love between husband and wife requires a day-to-day effort of the spouses to grow in mutual love and exclude, leave out, any other external affection that might attempt against that love, that union between husband and wife. So they have to work constantly to maintain a lifelong fidelity to each other. Right? Uh, fidelity is fidelity for life. Right? Of course. So true love is has that characteristic. It seeks to it. It desires to be complete and definitive. Definitive to be true love. It cannot be only for some time or for several years. It has to be for their entire life. So the consequence of this complete gift of themselves, there there should be a responsibility of mutual fidelity, a fidelity that must last a lifetime between husband and wife. What good would it be to promise a complete love if then we take back that promise after some years, right? So as the Vatican Council teaches, the Second Vatican Council, intimate union of marriage, as mutual giving of two persons and the good of the children, demand total fidelity from the spouses and requires an unbreakable union between them. this is taught by the uh, document Gaudium et Spes, number 48. So, of course, uh, it can seem difficult or even impossible, right, to bind oneself for life to another human being. And this is why it has to, there has to be uh, a love that is founded on God, not purely human love or pure, uh, purely human attraction. The spouses have to desire and uh, endeavor, we could say, to continue to make that love grow throughout the years. So there has to be uh, a mutual respect, an affirmation of the other person, willingness to forgive the spouse and willingness to sacrifice oneself for the other person. So all these attitudes make this life lasting marriage a real possibility, right? Uh, and not something that is only in the, in the words, right? No, there has to be a real possibility and these different elements help, right? So now there are possibilities for a variety of reasons that there might be situations where living together becomes impossible for husband and wife even if they're devout and they want to live a good life. And in these cases, the church allows a separation of husband and wife when it's impossible for them to live together, so that they can live separately, but their marriage bond still exists. And therefore, they should not date someone else or remarry. Right? That's what is called separation, and it's allowed by the church when necessary. Now, something very different from this is what many people call divorce. Right? In these cases, a spouse of a valid marriage divorce, divorces the other spouse and remarries in a civil court with another person. But as our Lord teaches in the Gospel, in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, verse 11, such a spouse that remarries someone else commits adultery. So in such cases, those who have remarried, after being married the first time, uh, they separate from, they, they divorce their spouse, and while the other spouse is alive, they remarry someone else. They are in the state of objectively and gravely situation that opposes the law of God. They're in a, in a state of sin, we could say, right? And therefore, they can't receive communion as long as the, that same situation persists. Of course, they can repent. They can go to confession. They can change their lives uh, according to make them more according to the law of God and then return again to the reception of Holy Communion. So there are different ways of solving the situations, right? Uh, That are more pastoral and um, demand a greater explanation. So for all this, and for the different pastoral situations and their solution, all this is explained more in detail in the numbers 1650 and 1651 of the Catechism. Now, what is important now regarding this mutual respect and... um, fidelity of husband and wife as a gift of marriage, Uh, I wanted to quote the catechism that insists on the grace that is given through marriage so that this grace strengthens the mutual love and respect of the spouse, the mutual attitude of service to one another, and the constant willingness to repent for one's offenses and be willing to forgive the other spouse many, many times. So the Catechism says that the sacrament of marriage gives a particular strength and grace to do this, a grace that comes from Christ, who must be at the center, of course, of the family. So we read in Numbers 16, 42. Christ dwells with them, the spouses, gives them the strength to take up their crosses and so follow him, to rise again after their fall, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, and to love one another with a supernatural, tender, and fruitful love. So up to there, the Catechism. Uh, So finally, one of the other duties of marriage is the openness to life, of course. right. So that is uh, one of the goals of marriage. The Vatican Council in the Constitution Gaudium et Spes, number 48, says that by its very nature the institution of marriage and married love is ordered to the procreation and education of the offspring and it is in them that it finds its crowning and glory and john paul ii saint john paul ii in familiaris consortio number 28 uh, adds the following children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves Now, I would like to, um, myself, underscore this very first phrase of the Pope. I'll read it again. Children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves. And then he continues. God himself, wishing to associate them, the spouses, in a special way in his own creative work, blessed man and woman with the words, be fruitful and multiply. So children are a gift uh, of marriage, right? Um, so as you see, God, create, uh, God extends his creative power to husband and wife. He wishes to create through them. He wishes to create other human beings through husband and wife. And not only does he want uh, parents to create them, God wants the parents to educate them and to form them into true children of God. Parents are responsible for the good Christian education of their children. In summary, they are the first educators of their children. So I personally think that uh, on this point rests the future of our society and of the Catholic Church. Not only on priests and bishops, but also on holy parents who will teach their children how to be good and holy men and women for our world. So there's probably many other wonderful things to say about marriage. So if you have any questions, Um, that you'd like to ask me uh, or clarify, please email me at info at org. So thank you so much for sharing your time with me. If you like this episode, please uh, share it with others. Also, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. May God bless you, and we will see you next time.